Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Two or three things I need to say before we get to our text. I hope that some of you, at least, have already read the text. It's brief and have taken the time to read the first chapter of the book of Jonah. And there's some interesting reading in this 107th Psalm in regard to what we're talking about. But before I start, periodically, if I find out some things that I think you all really need to know, um, I have in my possession a research paper by a, uh, a competent researcher on marijuana and um, at the time and uh, anyway what you all need to know is that three things number one uh, marijuana we know now almost everything that you have heard on television and radio and newspaper is a blatant lie so you know where I'm coming from We're told that marijuana causes people to be more laid back and they die, da da da, da kind of Willie Nelson-like. And we're told that marijuana, actually because if you use it, you're more laid back and less prone to violence. Here's what the data proves, and I'm willing to put a paper, I put out here that if next week, if you want a copy of the research paper, I'll make it available for you. But I need to know who wants it because I have to order them. Here's, here's what the research proves. This, number one, marijuana contributes to mental illnesses, especially schizophrenia. That's number one. And this isn't something I've made up. This is research and the data that comes as a result of the research. The second thing that proved, and this was a little surprising for me, is that marijuana usage increases violence. A marijuana user is more apt to slap his wife around, slap his children around, and swear he doesn't remember it. or vice versa, whatever. And the third thing is this. It has been promoted for one reason. It puts more money in the political coffers. It's being motivated and promoted for one reason only. And that's so it puts more money in the hands of politicians who spend too much money on, on stuff they oughtn't spend on to start with. So I have this paper, I call it my pot paper, and, uh, and I'm, next week I'm going to put a thing out here so that if you want a copy, that uh, I can order a copy for you and make sure that you get it. Um, but it is, it is based on research, is not based on opinion. That's number one. Number two is this past week, 
my first wife and I went out to Denver and uh, encouraged our oldest boy who was uh, sworn in as part of the judicial system of the city and county of Denver. And so if you go out there and uh, get in trouble, give me a call for a small fee. I can help you out. And, uh, so, uh, and on the way back, I was sitting next to a gentleman who sneezed and coughed on me for three and a half hours. The result is that uh, uh, I, I, I guess it was a, just a really bad cold, as far as I know. But ever since I had many years ago um, Legionnaire's pneumonia, why I have had to be a little careful with stuff like that. And uh, now then, that out of the way, and Matthew's, he's sick, and, and uh, so I guess it's, so be patient with me this morning, because if I sit down, it's because I need to sit down for a minute, because my giddy-up has got up and gone somewhere in the, in the process. What we are to talk about this morning, I found to be very interesting and it's a story that probably every one of you who've ever been to Sunday school already knows the story. It's found in three different, three different Gospels. For our purposes this morning, it's found in the Gospel of Luke, or rather of Mark, I'm sorry. I was looking at Luke here. In the fourth chapter, starting at verse 35, but I want to read a little bit from the book of Jonah as well, just in case you didn't. I'm certain most of you did. But Here's how the text begins. It says, Jesus, as you know, had been, if you've been coming here, had been preaching to uh, larger and larger crowds. He was preaching a around in different little communities around the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee uh, is the source of most of the water of the whole country of Israel. The crowds got so big that he actually walked out, got on a boat and went out a little piece in the water. Now that does two things. The water, as you know, is a basis of amplification of a voice. And so more people could hear him. And secondly, then the other boats started gathering around him. And there was a large crowd listening to him. And the time came when he was tired and it was late in the day. And here's what it says. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. He was preaching on the west side wanting to go over on the east side that is not nearly as heavily populated where he could be alone and get some rest. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There are also other boats with them. <clears throat> A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat, which simply meant the boat was taking water so that it was nearly sunk or swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, 
don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet and be still. What the Greek text says that isn't clear in the English is that he actually said to the wind and the waves, Be quiet, be still, and stay that way. The word that is used there in the Greek language is is the same word that you would use if you were to muzzle a dog. You put a muzzle on a dog and his barking days are over. Jesus literally muzzled the waves and the wind that caused the waves. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, there are interesting questions that come up about this. What is taking place here so that you have it written before you is that Peter is telling a young fellow by the name of Mark, you write this down. This is what I remember. The reason I referred to it is, is the book of remembrance is because when Peter was writing this as an older man, looking back over his life, and the Spirit of God had moved in his life and said, you record what you remember. And I'm certain God guided his remembrance. And he wrote this down. So the question arises, why did he write down the fact that they had this incident on the Sea of Galilee? Why did he do it to start with? Well, the answer is kind of simple, really, and we'll get to it a little bit later on. I just wonder if any of you have ever been... Now, you remember these disciples, many of whom were professional fishermen. They were used to what took place on the Sea of Galilee because those storms are fairly common. They don't come every day, but just north of the Sea of Galilee, a few miles, is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is over 10,000 feet high. It's right on the, the Syrian border. And on top of Mount Hermon is snow 12 months out of the year. That's the only place you can go skiing in that part of the country. The Sea of Galilee is, under ordinary circumstances, a little over 650 feet below sea level, and because of that, it's usually pretty warm and comfortable there. It is the headwater of the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee spills over into the Jordan, and and the Jordan River runs 90 miles straight south into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has no outlet. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is over 1,300 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on the face of the earth, and it's always warm there, and occasionally a little windy, too. Well, you know what happens because you watch the Weather Channel on occasion when warm air and cold air collide. 
it causes a vortex, a swirling motion. And so the cold air from this north wind occasionally brings the cold air off of the snow down to the bottom of Mount Hermon. And there at the bottom of Mount Hermon used to be a Jesus day, a pretty good-sized city called Caesarea Philippi, named after Caesar Philip. That's where the, the, the primary source of the cleanest water there comes from because the snow and all that stuff comes down, is filtered through that 10,000-foot mountain and comes out like a, and, and just comes out from under the mountain like this and forms a lot of really fresh water that's cool and, and potable. I've been there a lot of times. Last time I was there was kind of a guest of the federal government from of, of our government had a government car could just go anywhere I wanted to and the police would just wave you on through it was kind of handy I took President Medcalf from over Kentucky Christian with me let him drive I thought anybody went to jail I wanted it to be him but uh, so we were there for a good long while and there aren't many places in Israel, really, where I haven't been uh, at least a few times. I've been over there over 15 times through the years. And so when the cold wind comes down off of Mount Hermon and collides with the warm air coming up out of the Sea of Galilee and that low area, and they collide, it creates a storm and the Greek word that is used there to describe those storms is the word that we use for hurricane or cyclone, according to wherever you are. Now, we're, we're, we're kind of familiar with that, those of you who have lived here a few years. There was a time several years ago when I was sitting in the church office and we had a tornado hit in Wheelersburg area. And people were killed. Some of the kinfolks are here today. I was sitting in the office and got a telephone call. The state police, uh, they were coming to, they said, go get some raincoat and hat and galoshes. There have been fatalities. We need clergy. A state policeman will pick you up and escort you back to Wheelersburg. Took us up on top of the up on the ridge where we walked through rubble for several hours looking for bodies. What I'm telling you is when those uncontrolled weather things happen, it's a frightening experience because you're totally helpless and people do get hurt. That one section was just leveled up there on the ridge and many of the, a lot of the debris was taken clear up on the hill just east of it. We walked through there. Years ago when I was a student at the Divinity School at Vanderbilt University, we were home for the summer. Alice Kay and I went with a couple who attended our church there in Nebo. Nebo's a little town just nine miles west of Madisonville, Kentucky. And he had a boat, and so we went to Sturgis, Kentucky, down on the river on the Ohio. 
And while we were there, strangely enough, a horrible storm came up. It was so bad that Joe, who was driving the boat, could just turn it into the wind, and the boat didn't have enough power to make it go anywhere. It would just, he had it running, and it would just sit there and kind of quiver. And the waves would come, and, and all you could do was sit there and wait and hope that it hurried up and left. Weather out of control is something that we have no that is a frightening thing. We've seen it happen here, and I've experienced it at least once on water. When it's so bad that experienced fishermen quiver in their boots, it's pretty bad. I've never seen it in Israel like it. So why did why didn't Peter say this needs to be recorded? The church needs to hear this message of what took place on the lake. Why? You see, if you could, sh if that message would show something about who Jesus is and who God is, and we're trying to, and everybody was trying to say, who is God and what's he like? Because they thought that the Messiah was going to be another George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln or something. They were looking for a, a leader who would restore Israel to what it had been in its glory under David. And he said, you know what? You need to write this down. Jesus... When he spoke, now get this because it's interesting to me. When Jesus spoke to the wind that was driving the waves and said, calm down and stay that way, and they did, it was the very same language that he used when, and Peter had recorded, dictated to Mark just a few verses back, of a demon-possessed man. When he spoke to that demon and said, you come out of him and get going. And don't come back. And it happened. And they were asking then, who is this guy anyway? Because their concept of God was weak. And they needed to know who he was and how he acted. See, what is not commonly known among us because we don't know our Bibles that well is that in the Garden of Eden, and the, these Jews, their Bible was the Old Testament, right? And in the Old Testament, in the, Garden of, in, in the book of Genesis, when man sinned, the totality of creation was under a curse. Woman could pop out little babies before then, no problem. But from now on, there will be pain in childbirth. Guys, when you go out to the field, there are going to be weeds. The totality of creation, including the weather, was under a curse. And it still is. 
And just as the demons were the imps of hell under the guidance of the devil himself, the weather wasn't what it used to be. If you go to the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, you'll find an interesting thing. One of the beasts, one of the real bad boogers of the, of the whole Bible came up out in the verse, starting at verse 1, 13th chapter of Revelation, came up out of the sea. And the sea was the place where a lot of people died <coughs> in that day and age. They had their boats. We've had the Titanic. None of which could stand up to a cursed weather. Lots of things when we knew our Bible, we identified as under the curse. Some of you old codgers can remember when they used to refer to the demon of alcohol. You don't do that anymore because... Too much money is raised from it. The demon of alcohol. I could write a book about that in my own family. Then you go back to the in in the in the Old Testament there are different references there to problems with the weather and the sea. And so he writes this down. So that people can understand it. What we need to get straight in our mind is this. And this is the other thing that I'm certain he had in mind. The storms of life come to mankind. To all of mankind. And they don't always give you a heads up. These storms are coming. And one of the funny things that happens that I really don't understand, but I know that it happens because we experience it here all the time, is that even though you are a born-again Christian and you know you're going to go to heaven when you die and you read your scripture and you try it, to, you, you really want the Spirit of God to create the character qualities of Jesus in you so that you have a witness for Christ. You really want that to happen. You're sincere about your faith. All of that being true, when one of those storms come, they become absolutely obsessive. And we forget everything except what we're going through at the time. There's illustrations all through the Bible about that as well as in our own life. Do you remember that one of the really great guys in the Old Testament, and he's referred to because he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, he was referred to by Jesus, said John the Baptist has the spirit of Elijah. Elijah had been up on one of these hills in Israel on the north, far northwest edge of Israel, is the largest, third largest city called Haifa. And overlooking Haifa are some high hills. They call them mountains. And, one, and it's called Mount, that, that range there is called Mount Carmel. And it was on Mount Carmel that 
Elijah had a contest with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal were brought there by the queen of Samaria, who was a gal named Jezebel. She was the king, Ahab's wife. And she was a piece of work. Elijah had this magnificent show put on where the prophets of Baal were totally humiliated and finally just about 350 of them were wiped out. And Jezebel got the message. This goofy guy has killed my preachers. And I'm not going to put up with that. And when Elijah heard that Jezebel was after his scalp, he took off running like a scalded dog. He ran all the way south down into the Negev, called the, that's the Sinai Desert, and hid in a cave. He was so overwhelmed by the fear of this woman and her power as queen that he couldn't think about anything else. He couldn't even eat. He, I mean, he was obsessed with the problem. Until a still, small voice spoke to him and said, Hey, Elijah. You know, we have the same problem. Speaking of scalded dogs, that's brought something to my mind. I thought maybe I ought to share it with you. When I was a kid on the farm, we milked 13 cows, 12 or 13 cows most of the time, sold our milk to Carnation. We lived back a lane, what they call the lane then, of four-tenths of a mile, and we had to take the milk. We sold it to Carnation Corporation. They sent a milk truck around, picked it up, put it in these cans, and they would leave you empties and take your cans. And, and every once in a while, one of the people up the road would give the milk truck driver a $5 bill and a bunch of dogs that he was to go dump off somewhere else. And that sucker occasionally would dump some at the end of our lane with our empty cans. Now, how do you get rid of dogs you don't want? Well, you could shoot them. But Daddy wasn't much on shooting anything, except maybe crows. And, but he did have a really effective way of sending the dogs on their way. And I'll share this with you in case you ever want to do it, and then I'll visit you in jail. If you take a tin can and, tie, and punch a hole in it and tie a string around it and put a few pebbles in it, put a loop just about that long, and then you put a slip knot on the other end and you put that over the dog's tail and you turn him loose he leaves town he tries to outrun the can that is tied to his tail they tell me that the same thing works with cats I never did see that done but they say that it works with cats. Hey, they even wrote a song about it, you know. My old Tom Caddy was a feeling fine till he fell in a barrel of turpentine. He's a moving on. He'll soon be gone. He passed the gate like an 88. He's a moving on. I mean, that's stuff that you need to know. But anyway, that came to my mind when I was thinking about Elijah running from Jezebel. 
when he had at his access all the time and was totally unaware of it, the presence of the living God. But you see, when the storms of life come and they're painful or emotionally destructive or whatever, we become so obsessed with the problem that we don't think of the Lord. And we try to handle the situation by ourselves, and it turns out to be a real challenge for us. That's, you see, when we need a friend. We need, that's why the, the, the Bible teaches you don't fly your own kite in the, in the body of Christ. We need each other. We need someone who will come and put their arm around it and remind us that if you're a Christian, when you became a Christian, you repented of your sins, we buried them in the waters of baptism, you were just like a new baby coming forth out of the water, you're born again, you breathe in the Holy Spirit, who promised in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always be. We've had movies and pictures and everything to remind us of that. You know, one set of footsteps in the sand, you remember? While the Lord was carrying us on our way. And we weren't even aware of it. Because, <coughs> excuse me, this can happen to any of us. I doubt if any of us are spiritually strong enough to endure some of the things that come our way as a part of living here on a fallen earth without help from somebody else. We really need each other. That's called the fellowship of the body of Christ. And in Acts 2.42, it said that the early church prospered and grew and, and became terribly influential because they did four things. They read their Bible, the apostles' doctrine. They continued to have fellowship with one another. That word koinonia means sharing our lives. And when all hell breaks loose and our lives are falling apart, or at least we think they are, we have a tendency to forget the fact that the Lord is right there with us all the time. And somebody needs to be there to remind us. Just bring it to our attention and pray with us and acknowledge his presence and know this, the situation is really, really bad. I remember years ago, I don't remember the incident, I just remember the result. I was a young preacher, and something had happened that had me all bent out of shape. And an old guy named Willie walked up, put his arm around me, and he said, Hey, put your shoulders back, lift up your chin, they ain't crucified you yet. That's all you needed to know. It's going to be okay. But we need somebody somewhere that we trust and that, that will, has, enough, has enough giddy up about him that will come and put his arm on your shoulder and say, hey, the Lord is with you. And he'll never leave you. For... See, he even said to his own these disciples that were so afraid. And I suspect I suspect that they thought when they asked the question, who is this guy that even the wind and the rain, 
and, and, and the waves listened to him. Who is this guy? I suspect they thought he might have some kind of angelic presence. Because in every instance that I can think of in the Bible, wherever angels disappeared, they had to say, don't be afraid. There was something about an angelic presence that just scared people to death. Now, what it was, I don't really know. All I know is when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field when Jesus came, what is the first thing they said? Now, don't be afraid. And that term is used everywhere. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't be afraid. I was here all the time. These storms come to us. That's, and, and Jonah is mentioned simply, and this isn't the only time that Jonah was mentioned, in the, that Jesus mentioned. Do you remember the time when uh, the, uh, the uh, big shots in Judaism came to Jesus and they said to him, show us a sign, put us on a show for us. And they were hoping he'd do something that they could consider being blasphemous so they could kill him. That was the idea. And he said, now I'm not going to put on a sign except one, and it'll be the sign of Jonah. But they didn't know what that was. You, we do know what it is now, but they didn't at the time. They just looked at him like he's a fool. The sign of Jonah, what was it? Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, Jesus would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, and then he would live again. That's the only sign you're going to get. That ought to be enough. This thing was Jonah. See, Peter knew the story of Jonah well. Jonah, who was running from God. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against them because they're a bunch of bad cat Gentiles, and I want you to whoop it on them. Go get them. Tell them to repent. Jonah said, I don't like them, and I ain't going. So he goes down to Joppa, which is Tel Aviv today, bought him a ticket to go to Tarth. And, and, and on the way to uh, Tarshish, he, he said, you know, I'm going to go that way. Got on boat. And he was tired, and he goes down in the belly of the boat and takes a nap. He goes sound asleep. And here comes the storm, just like, I mean, and the sailors were scared to death. They even tried to row back, but the wind was so strong, they, like we were in the Ohio River, just sat there chugging, holding their own. They couldn't go anywhere. And they were frightened. And so they, Jonah had already told them he was running from God. And they go down and wake him. And the captain wakes him up and says, Hey, Joe, wake up, man. How can you sleep through the, all of this? Why don't you call on your God who created... And he said, Well, my God created heaven and earth. He what? And I'm running from him. And they threw him overboard at his request. And God sent this special made submarine and picked him up and sent him and sent him on his way. Now, the, you know, the liberals say there ain't no such thing as a whale that can do that. But if we say put him on a submarine, they'll buy that, okay. But this submarine had skin on and took him to Nineveh. 
And it said, God who created the storm. This is what Jonah said. God who created the storm for that purpose of getting his preacher to go where he was supposed to go. God created the storm and God calmed the seas. And you read that again in 107th Psalm. Same thing. See, what you need to know, and this is a biggie, you need to know that Jesus, before he put skin on, was there with Jonah. Jesus, before he put skin on, was there in the garden. He was there before there was a garden. He was there when he spoke and all that is came into being. Just by the voice of his word came out and said, stuff, come into being. And all of, all of the stuff that is necessary to create our cosmos existed. But it was without form and void. And he spoke again and it became orderly. He created order. He created the cosmos out of of, of, of chaos. And it calmed down just by his word. And now the same one who spoke in the waters of the sea, of the Mediterranean Sea calmed down. The waters of Galilee calmed down just at the same voice that spoke it into existence to start with. That's why his word is so important. And when you open your Bible and read it, you're reading what was recorded that God spoke and said, put this in writing so that those turkeys in Saudi County can know something about what they ought to know. Well, that's important for us to get straight in our head. I can remember, I've seen angels, a angel. I know what that's like. I've experienced the presence of God, but I can't tell you what he looked like, and I wouldn't recognize Jesus if he walked in the door. And you wouldn't either. And they didn't know who he was either. Who is this guy? They were questioning because they saw what he could do. They saw the authority of his word. He spoke, and the wind stood still, and they said, What? Who is this guy? Now look, this same guy put within you and me, if you're a born-again Christian, and if you aren't a born-again Christian, you're going to hell on a skateboard, but you can do something about that. That same word of God created, said that if you repent of your sins and confess that Jesus is the Christ and that you're a sinner and you need Jesus and we'll bury the old guy in the baptistry over here and you're born again, you're in the newness of life and here you are then a recipient when you breathe that first time the Spirit of God comes in you. Now, there are those who say, but we want proof that that Holy Spirit is there. Ralph could say this better than I because he came from a church that said, we want some proof that the Holy Spirit is there. And so come up out of the water, they want you to speak in tongues just to prove that you have been saved and that the Spirit of God is within you. <coughs> Those of us who don't speak in tongues take that on faith. But here's the point. 
that same spirit that spoke everything into existence because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, the Bible says. This same spirit, hang on to me now, this same spirit lives in you if you are a born-again Christian. And is there to assist you through the storms of life and ultimately will get you out of this world into the presence of Jesus in what we call heaven. Because you and I don't know the way. But he does. So he's important for you to have as your partner in life. But I guarantee you one thing. These storms of life are coming. You know, I probably, even before our division, almost everybody here I knew, most of whom I could call by name, and a lot of you I really know well. Because I've shared with you some of those storms. And I happen to be the one that was there to remind you. Jesus is here. And in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, he said, I won't leave you and I won't forsake you. I don't care what the storm is. But the storms will come and the storms will go. They write music about it all the time. You've probably heard this one if you've been around for a while. Kick it into gear. A little louder. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid. Of the dark. Those dark clouds come. I stood at the graveside with many of you when you buried your mommy, your daddy, a few of you with your baby. I've stood at there with you when a son ran away on drugs, and a daughter ran away with somebody on drugs. Those storms of life are coming to us all in one way or the other. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we're here as brothers and sisters in Christ to remind each one of you this. Don't quit because you have within you the very spirit of the living God to help you through it and will ultimately help you to become an overcomer. So don't quit. We need each other to remind us. Because the Lord will walk with us and we will walk with each other. For Jesus said, I will never leave you. 
forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of this age. Lord, I ask your blessing upon this gathering of peoples, all of whom at one time or another either have or will experience the storms of life brought on because we live in a fallen world. But thank you, Father, for not only walking along beside us, but actually indwelling us and promising never to leave us nor forsake us. We praise you, O God, and we thank you for your loving kindness and your constant presence. And we offer you our gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.